Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, it's Mike again. <clears throat> On out another recording. That's the best I can. This is nothing but the truth. As journey it is. 11:27, allegedly 2016. Uh, back into this uh, HermesPress.com. Of course, they don't spend too much on the Jesuits in the Talmud, but they know they're telling you a little bit of the people who are a part of the this evil cabal of uh, Jesuits, Freemasons, and Talmudic Jews. The Italian and Jewish mafia. Says here, uh, remarks of the U.S. National Security Advisor's James L. Jones uh, at the 45th. I guess it has some kind of magic to that to the geometry 45th. Uh, 45th president Donald Trump. Anyways, uh, the 45th Munich Conference of the Security Policy of Hotel Bayer Reichershof, I don't know, 2809. Thank you for a wonderful tribute to Henry Kissinger yesterday. Congratulations. As most recent National Security Advisor of the United States, I take my daily orders from Dr. Kissinger, filtered down through the general... Think uh, Brent Scoff, Scowcroft, Scowcroft, and Sandy Burge, who is also here. We have a chain of command in the National National Security Council that exists today. New evidence of the cabal's control of both the Republican Democratic Party and the U.S. Surfaced in 2009 when Obama released papers proving that Bush allowed the CIA to torture without restraint and that Obama administration would not prosecute any of the the perpetrators of these international war crimes. In July of 2008, Barack Obama's legal advisor, the University of Chicago law professor K.S. Sutton, or Sunstein, or Sunstein, so Cass is C-A-S-S, Sunstein, like the, the sun and the moon and star sun, said that as President Obama would not prosecute crimes that Bush and his confederates committed while in office such as torture and unlawful surveillance, Sunstein admitted that, quote, gregarious crimes, in a quote, should not be ignored, implying that he and Obama considered Bush's crimes to be, quote, non-egregious. Did I say gregarious earlier? I meant to say egregious crimes. And I meant to say non-egregious crimes. 
<clears throat> the cabal is con- is continuing its brazen criminal behavior under the Obama presidency, proving once again that this power block controls both parties. This is from Samir Amen, a market economist and oligopoly or oligopoly finance capitalism. Oligopoly. Maybe I should look that up. I always got a word I can't say. Or, ah, you know, it is the way it is. How you learn? Make mistakes. Even if they're potentially public. Oligopoly. Oligopoly. It's an ancient Greek. Oligogs means few. A market, market form, the market in which market or industry is dominated by a small number of sellers. Oligarch, let's just get this, oligarchy. This is for the pronunciation. Oligopoly. Oligopoly. Oligopoly, not an oligarchy, but an oligopoly. So there you go, if I learn a new word. <clears throat> Quote, there is a grand oligopoly composed of about 10 leading international banks, followed by about 20 other lesser of lesser capacities. A network of institutional investors, pension funds and collective investment funds, among others, managed by subsidiaries and associates of those banks, insurance companies and groups of major firms, also largely associated with the dominant banks. This financial oligopoly is is the effective chief of the 50 to 100 biggest financial, industrial, agro-business, trade, and transportation groups. The oligopoly is not governed by the laws of competition, in quotes, but by a a mix of competition and oligopolistic agreements, often called consensus, which which is itself unstable in the sense that the moment that a moment dominated by consensus such as ours may be followed by a moment of vigorous competition. This would take the form of conflict among states since although each of the units of the that compose the oligopoly operate in the transnational ground of the world economy, they each remain national by the adherence of their top management to the bourgeoisie of the particular state. <clears throat> it says here, the Obama puppet regime provides us with further proof of the cabal controlling both the Democrat and Republican parties. Obama is implementing policies that are as destructive 
for wor of workers and in some instances more destructive than Bush II, Obama now has a large military force, a larger military force than Bush II, and he is continuing to condone and support the looting of American taxpayer money by the Wall Street banksters. The cabal is now orchestrating sham struggles between the Democrat First Republicans and the, the government, in quotes, versus Wall Street. The Obama puppet regime comprised with the pharmaceutical companies and the health insurance corporation on health care plan, giving them total control to make this palatable to ignorant American voters, it was made to appear that the Republicans were against the health care plan, a scheme which the Republicans had written with their very own hands. The destruction of the American worker through wars, financial looting, and unemployment, and loss of homes has become so evident that the cabal is now finding it necessary to mount new brainwashing operations involving the Tea Party reactionaries, quote-unquote, funded by the cabal corporations, the Democratic-controlled Congress pretending to legislate new, quote, regulations, end quote, for Wall Street, and the new pu uh, public relations PR schemes carried out by such cabal insiders as Lloyd Blank Blankfein, CEO and chairman of Golden Snack, Golden Snacks, Goldman Sachs. <clears throat> Uh, Blankstein's performance on the reactionary Charlie Rose show uh, on April 30th, 2010, gave further proof that the cabal hypothesis delineated in this essay, Blankstein did not attack the Obama administration for f filing civil fraud charges against Goldman Sachs. It was apparent that he knew that the cabal was carrying out a pretense of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, going up against the Goldman Sachs, going up against Goldman Sachs, when in reality it was all a PR hoax to make American workers feel that something is being done to the rain in Wall Street. Nathan Rothschilds, from 1777 to 1836. I care not what puppet is placed on the throne of England to rule the empire. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls British, the British Empire, and I control the British money supply. Understanding bringing power and hope. Understanding brings power and hope. This expose of the demonic cabal is part of a larger effort on part of the this website and a number of other progressive voices to help citizens around the globe become aware of what's happening in the world. Far from far from this information about uh, the cabal being the harbingers of doom and cause for, for hopelessness, it can and is being used by many people to gain understanding and act to remove this cabal from power. The increasing citizen disapproval of the cabal's looting and destruction reveals unmistakably that the group of 
megalomaniacs can and does, quote, misunderestimate, and quote, American and world citizens. Through the continuing efforts to inform ourselves and to act decisively and intelligently, workers worldwide will ultimately overthrow this demonic cabal and institute a government of, by, and for the people. It's going to take a lot of heartache. It's going to be pain. Are we willing to do this, are we? The British historian Andrew J. Tone, Toynbee, quote, America is today the leader of the worldwide anti-revolutionary movement in the defense of vested interests. She now stands for what Rome stood for. Rome consistently supported the rich against the poor. Now we go back to Rome, uh, the Jesuits. We go back to the Roman Catholic Church and the uh, the and the uh, papacy in the Vatican City, right? And since the poor so far have always and are everywhere been far more numerous than the rich, Rome's policy made for inequality, for injustice, and for the least for the least happiness of the greatest number. Information sources, there are Rockefellers, Edward J. Epstein, Rockefellers, Gary Allen, Rockefeller Files, U.S. British Oil Imperialism, uh, Oil Rulers 1 or Oil Rules 2. The Bush family, Bush, George Bush, the unauthorized biography, Bush Nazi connection, the Bush Saudis connection, what's behind Bush's war with Iraq, how both Bushes attacked Iraq, weapons of mass destruction, double teak, double, double teak, double think. Obama the cabal puppet. Obama the cabal puppet. Obama the puppet one. Obama the puppet two. Behind Obama's false facade. How the cabal operates. Class war for dictatorship, war crimes, and war profiteering, Nazification of America, brainwashing America, overcoming the present dark age, policy state USA, military dictatorship USA, economic cannibalism, American world empire, the cost and consequence of American plutocracy, the world dominance plot, the U.S. British oil imperialism, dollar imperialism, dictating reality. Other sources, post-Bush, Upton Sinclair's view of the cabal, Linda Miner, the road from Harvard to Enron, Gary Webb, Dark Elias, the CIA, the Contras, and the crack cocaine explosion. Next is Peter Dale Scott and Jonathan Marshall, cocaine politics, drugs, armies, and the CIA in Central America. Kent Heiner, quote, the impact of illicit drug trade on the American political process, end of quote. Then there's, quote, manned the state and the dupe. Then there's a pat. Next one is quote patterns of organizational corruption. End of quote. Then there's Peter or Pete Brewston, 
the mafia, CIA, and George Bush. And there's Robert I. Friedman, Red Mafia, Mafia, how the Russian mob has invaded America. Then there's Alfred W. McCoy, and the um, politics of heroin in Southeast Asia. Victor Marchitti and John D. Marks, the CIA and the cult of intelligence. John Prado's The President's Secret Wars. Jim Hogan Spooks is the name of that. Jonathan Quit Quitney, The Crime of Patriots. And there's five years of drug trafficking by CIA and other government operations. Rodney Stitch, Drugging America, A Trojan Horse. Then Rodney Stitch, Defrauding America, Encyclopedia of Secret Operations by the CIA, DEA, and other covert agencies. And then there's the capitalist cabal, as seen by the Thrive Movement, which I don't disagree with. Let's see what this is, theblacklistnews.com, the Illuminati, or amateurs, the fact shows these five families rule the world. <clears throat> Maybe next time that's what I'll read, but I want to get back to this other thing, which I feel is absolutely more important, and that is the Perusia. It is clear that this, for a long time, the ruling elite have been abusing and misusing the Word of God in order as a form of mind control and manipulation. Is it possible that the Word of God itself tells us that all things were fulfilled in the first century A.D.? If that is the case, then all this futuristic nonsense is just that nonsense that is being used by the ruling elite and that's why you see so much of it on the internet, and so little of the truth, because they're actually abusing and abusing our ignorance of the Word of God in order to exploit us all. Now, this is something that's been going on for 2,000 years, so it's something not, nothing new. The degree of the exploitation is what's new. Back to the Perusia by James Stuart Russell, written around seven, or published around seven. 1878, and has been memory hold and kept from us, the populace. I expect a very few people to be interested in this, but they should be. It's profoundly important. And you cannot allow fellow brothers in Christ and sisters of Christ to manipulate us, whether knowingly or unknowingly, on a future dispensational Antichrist, a future Antichrist, a future this and that, when this is all just what they're doing, folks, is they're exploiting our ignorance of the Bible and replaying it the way they want to, uh, you dictating it to manipulate the Word of God, exploiting your ignorance, mine ignorance, making us believe there's something in the future is going to happen, that we live in the last days. All this is necessary to keep you shits quiet and compliant. Of course, you become someone like me, and you become a hermit, unfortunately, 
or if enough of us are educate ourselves and educate our fellow brothers in Christ in this truth, that we can turn the tide. But if we're going to turn the tide, it's not going to be in government. It's actually going to be in the church. This is the case. One believer in Christ at a time. We have to go back, unfortunately, back to over the first A.D., and start this whole process all over again, don't we? But this time, we got a lot of the evil ones to be destroyed and not get in bed with them. Just allow them to be destroyed. I said, my hope, it could be just vain uh, uh, foolishness on my part, but what else is there? Apostasy, the apostasy. St. Paul does not at present dwell upon the apostasy, in quote, but having simply named it as to come, passed on to the description of, quote, the man of sin, in a quote, we may here, however, refer to the fact that, quote, the falling away, in a quote, was no new, uh, was no new idea to the disciples of Christ. The Savior had expressly predicted it's coming in his prophetic discourse in Matthew 23, verses 10 and 12. And St. Paul elsewhere gives as full a delineation of the apostasy as he here does of the man of sin. See 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. It can only refer to the defection from the faith so clearly predicted by our Lord and described by his apostles and indicative, indicative of the, quote, last days, end of quote. But this topic will come to be considered in its proper place. The man of sin. It is of the utmost importance in entering upon this field of inquiry to find some principle which may guide and govern us in the investigation. We find such a principle and a very simple and obvious consideration that the Apostle is here referring to circumstances which lay within the ken of the Thessalonians themselves. If the Perusia itself, to which the development of the apostasy and the appearing of the man of sin were and decedent, was declared by the word of the Lord to fall within the period of the existing generation, it follows that, quote, the apostasy, and the quote, and quote, the man of sin, and the quote, lay nearer to them than the parousia. Besides, if we suppose, quote, the parousia, and the quote, and the man of sin, and the quote, to lie far beyond the times of the Thessalonians, what would be the use of giving them explanations and information about matters which were not at all urgent and which, in fact, did not concern them at all? Is it not obvious that whoever the man of sin may be, he must be someone with whom the apostle and his readers had to do? Is he not writing to living men about matters in which they are 
intensely interested? Why should he delineate the features of this mysterious personages to the uh, Thessalonians if he was one with whom the Thessalonians had nothing to do, from whom they had nothing to fear, and who would not be revealed for ages yet to come. It is clear that he speaks of one whose influence was already beginning to be felt, and whose unchecked and lawless furry, furry, not fear, fury, fury would ere long burst forth. All this lies uh, on the very surface, obvious and unquestionable. But this is not all. It appears certain that the Thessalonians were not ignorant about persons with intent, with, were not ignorant what person was intended by the man of sin. <clears throat> Let me start it again. It appears certain that the Thessalonians were not ignorant what person was intended by the man of sin. It was not the first time that the apostle had spoken with them on the subject. He says, quote, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I kept telling you these things, and now ye know what hindereth his being revealed in his own time. End of quote. This language plainly indicates that the apostle and his readers were well acquainted with the name, quote, man of sin, end of quote, and knew who was designated thereby. If so, it seems unquestionable the era of the investigation came, becomes greatly con contracted and the probabilities of discovery proportionately increased. What the Thessalonians had, quote, talked about, end of quote, quote, remembered, end of quote, and, quote, knew, end of quote, must have been something of a lie, something living and present interest, in short, must have belonged to contemporary history. But why does not the apostle speak out frankly? Why this reserved and reticent and reticence and darkly hinting what he has what he does not name it was not from ignorance it could not be from affection of mystery there must have been some strong reason for this extreme caution no doubt but what but what nature why does he have been why should he have been in the habit, as he says, of speaking so freely on the subject in private and then write so obscurely in his epistle? Obviously because it was not safe to be more explicit. On the one hand, a hint was enough, for they could all understand his meaning. On the other, more than a hint was dangerous for the name of the person might have compromised himself and them. From what quarter, then, was danger to be apprehended from too great free, 
from too great freedom of speech. There were only two quarters from which the Christians, uh, the apostolic age, had just cause for apprehension, Jewish bigotry and Roman jealousy. Hitherto the gospel had suffered most from the former. The Jews were everywhere and everywhere the instigators and, quote, stirring up the Gentiles against the brethren, end quote. But the power of Rome was jealous, and the Jews knew well how to awaken that jealousy. In Thessalonica itself, they had got up to the uh, they had got up the cry, quote, "These all do contrary to the to the to the decrees of Caesar." End quote. Once again, these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. End quote. Which of these causes then may have sealed the lips of the apostle? Not fear of the Jews, for nothing that he could say was likely to make their hostility more bitter. Nor had the Jews any direct civil authority by which they could inflict injury upon the Christian cause. We conclude, therefore, that it was from the Roman power that the apostle apprehended danger and that his reticence was occasioned by the desire not to involve the Thessalonians in the suspicion of disaffection and sedition. Let us now turn to the description of, quote, the man of sin, end quote, given by the apostle, endeavor to discover, if possible, whether there was any individual then existing in the Roman Empire to whom it will apply. One, the description requires that we should look not for a system or abstraction, but an individual, a man. Two, he is evidently not a private, but a public person. The power with which he is invested imply this. Three, he is a personage, he is a personage holding the highest rank and authority in the state. Four, he is a heathen and not a Jew. Five, he claims divine names, prerogative, and worship. Six, he pretends to exercise miraculous power. Seven, he is characterized by enormous wickedness. He is, quote, the man, the sin, and quote, i.e., the incarnation and embodiment of evil. Eight, he is distinguished by lawlessness as a ruler. Nine, he had not yet arrived at the fullness of his power when the apostle wrote, there existed some hindrance or check to the full development of his influence. Ten, the hideous, the hindrance was a person, was known to the Thessalonians, and would soon be taken out of the way. Eleven, the lawless one, the man of sin, was doomed to destruction. He is, quote, the son of perdition, and the quote, quote, whom the Lord shall slay, end quote. Twelve, his full development and manifestation and his destruction are immediately to precede the perusia. Quote, the Lord shall destroy him 
with the brightness of his coming in the quote. With these descriptive marks in our hands, can there be any difficulty in identifying the person in whom they all are found? Were there three men in the Roman Empire who answered these, this description? Were there two? Assuredly not, but there was one and only one. When the apostle wrote he was on the steps of the imperial throne a little longer and he sat on the throne of the world, it is Nero, the first of the persecuting emperors, the violator of all laws, a human and divine, the monster whose cruelty and crimes entitled him to the name of, quote, the man of sin, end of quote. Could that be our future <laughs> Donald Trump? <laughs> they, they pretend he's the man of sin. He is a man of sin. It's undoubtedly some man of sin and a Satanist or Luciferian. It will appear to, uh, at once. It will at once appear um, to every reader that all the features of this hideous portraiture, port, portraiture, portraiture belongs belong to Nero, but it is remarkable how exact is the correspondence, especially in those particulars which are more rec uh, uh, recondite and obscure. Recondite? Reckonant and uh, just obscure. I'm doing, doing again. Anyways, he is an individual, a public person, holding the highest ranking rank in the state. Heathen and not Jewish, a monster of wickedness, trampling upon all law. But how striking are the indi indications that point to Nero in the year which this epistle was written? say, A.D. 52 to, or A.D. 53. At that time, Nero was not yet manifest. His true character was not discovered. He had not yet succeeded to the empire. This reminds me of Trump. Oh, my gosh. Claudius, his stepfather, lived and stood in the way of the son of Agrip, Agrippina, 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 but that hindrance was soon removed. In less than a year, and probably after this epistle was received by the Thessalonians, Claudius was taken out of the way, a victim to the deadly practice of the infamous Grappina, his son also, according to Suetonius, being a, a assessor to the to the dead to the deed, excuse me. But quote the mystery of lawlessness was already working. End of quote. The influence of Nero must have been powerful in the last days 
of the wretched Claudius, the very plots was probably being hatched that paved the way for the accession of the son of the murderous murderess, like a, a, a Crepina, huh? The murderess. A few months more would witness the advance to the throne of the world of the miscreant whose name is gibbeted in everlasting infamy as the most brutal of tyrants and the vilest of men. Sounds like Trump. The remaining notes of the description are no less true to the, the original. The claim to divine honors, the opposing and exalting himself above all that is called God or an object of worship, his seating himself in the temple of God, showing himself to be God, to be a God, all are distinctive of Nero. The assumption of divine prerogative indeed was common to all the Roman emperors. Quote, Divus, and a quote, God, was inscribed on their coins and statues. The emperor might be said to, quote, exalt himself above all that is called God or an object of worship, end of quote, by monopolizing to himself all worship. This fact is placed in a striking light in the following remarks of Dean Houtson. Quote, the image of the emperor was at that time the object of religious reverence. He was a deity on earth, and the worship paid to him was real worship. It was a striking thought that in those times, setting aside the Ephesus forums of, of religion, that's not right. Anyways, I mean, just setting aside the the effety forms of religion, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the only true genuine worships in the civilized world were the worship of Tiberius or a Nero on the one hand and the worship of Christ on the other. The attempt of Caliglia to set up his statue in the temple of God in Jerusalem had driven the Jews to the brink of rebellion. It is just possible that this fact may have given their peculiar form to the description of the apostle. Certainly it suggested that Grotius uh, to the Grot Grotius uh, Gratius, that Caliglia must be the person intended to be portrayed. But the date of the epistle renders this opinion untainable. Nero, however, came behind none of his predecessors in his impious assumption of divine prerogatives. Dio, Dio Cassius, 
for Rodney Dio, huh? Dio Cassius informs us that when he returned victorious from the Christian games, he entered Rome and triumphed and was hailed with such acclamations as these, quote, Nero the Hercules, Nero the Apollo, thou August, August, sacred voice, eternal one. In all this, we see sufficient evidence of the assumption of divine honors by Nero. The same is true with respect to another note in this delineation, the pretension of miraculous powers, quote, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, end of quote, verse 9. This pretension follows almost as a matter of course from the assumption of the prerogatives of deity. It is to be supposed that the imperial divas would be credited with the possession of supernatural powers, and we find a very remarkable sidelight thrown upon this subject in Revelation 13, 13 through 15. At this stage of an investigation, however, it would not be desirable to enter into the reign of symbolism, though we shall fully avail ourselves of it, its aid at the proper time. Further, quote, the man of sin, end of quote, is doomed to perish. He is, quote, the son of perdition, end of quote, a name which he bears in common with Judas, an indicative of the certainty and completeness of his destruction. Quote, the Lord is to slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the appearance of his coming, end of quote. In this significant expression, we have a note of the time when the man of sin is destined to perish, marked with singular um, exactitude. It is the coming of the Lord, the parousia, which is to be the signal of his destruction, yet not the full splendor of that event, so much as the first appearance uh, or dawn of it. Alfred, after Bengal, very properly points out that the rendering, quote, brightness of his company, end of quote, should be, quote, the appearance of his company, end of quote. And he quotes the subliminal expression of Milton, quote, far off his coming along, coming shown, end of quote. Bengal, with fine discrimination, remarks, quote, here the appearance of his coming, or at all events, the first glimmerings of his coming a prior, are prior to the coming itself, end of quote. This evidently implies that the man of sin was destined to perish, not in the full blaze of the parousia, but at the first dawn or beginning. Now, what do we actually find? Remembering how the parousia is connected with the destruction of Jerusalem, we find that the death of Nero preceded that event. It took place on June A.D. 68, in the very midst of the Jewish war, 
which ended in the capture and destruction of the city and the temple. It might therefore be justly said that, quote, the appearance or dawn of the Perusia was the signal that the tyrants of for the tyrant's destruction. It does not follow that the death of Nero was to be brought about by an imminent or immediate supernatural agency, because it is said that, quote, the Lord shall slay him <clears throat> with the breath of his mouth, end of quote, etc. Herod Agrippa was smitten by the angel of the Lord, but this does not exclude the operation of natural causes. He was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Acts 12, verse 23. So Nero was overtaken by the divine judgment, though he received his death blow from the sword of an assassin or from his own hand. Lastly, it is scarcely necessary to make good the title of Nero to be to the application at the application, the ap appellation, the appellation, uh, or the appeal, so the appellation, quote, the man of sin, end of quote. It will be observed that it is the uh, profligacy, 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 uh, these words, they have so much better English, mastery of the English language than we do today, don't they? So the uh, profligacy of his personal character that stamps him with this distinctive epithet as if he were the very impersonation and embodiment of vice. Such indeed was Nero, whose name has become a, as synonym for all that is base, cruel, and vile, the highest in rank and lowest in character in the Roman world, a monster of wickedness even among pagans who were not squeamous about morality and who were familiar with the most corrupt society on the face of the earth. The following graphic delineation of the character of Nero is taken from Coney Bear and Hausen. Quote, Over this distinguished bench of judges presided the representative of the most powerful monarchy which has ever existed, the absolute ruler of the whole civilized world. But the, rever the reverential awe which his position naturally suggested was changed into contempt and loathing by the character of the sovereign who now presided over the supreme tribunal. For Nero was a man whom even the awful attributes of, quote, power equal to uh, the gods could not render august except in title. The fear and horror excited by his omnipotence and his cruelty were blended with contempt for his ignoble lust of praise and his shameless lasciviousness. He had not, as 
get plunged into the extravagance of tyranny, which at a later period exhausted the patience of his subjects and brought him to destruction. Hitherto his public measures had been guided by sage advisors, and his cruelty had injured his own family rather than the state. But already at the age of 25, he had murdered his innocent wife and his adopted brother and had dyed his hands in the blood of his mother. Yet even these enormities seem to have disgusted the Romans less than the prostitution of the imperial purple by publicly performing as a musician on the stage and a uh, uh, charioteur in the circus, his degrading want of dignity and insatiable appetite for vulgar applause drew tears from the counselors and servants of his house who could see him slaughter his, uh, his nearest relatives without remonstrance, end of quote. But there is probably another reason why Nero is branded with this epithet. The name, quote, man of sin, end quote, was not unknown in the Hebrew history. It had already been given to one who was not only a monster of cruelty and wickedness, but also a bitter enemy and persecutor of the Jewish people. It would not have been possible to pronounce a man more hateful to the Jewish ears than the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the Nero of his age, the venerate enemy of Israel, the profaner of the temple, the, I guess, the sanguinary, sanguinary uh, persecutor, prosecutor of the people of God. Sanguinary. That'd be a word to look up, wouldn't it? In the book of Maccabees, we find the name, quote, the man of sinners, in the quote, given to Antiochus. And 1 Maccabees, it's like chapter 2, verses 48 and 62. And it seems highly probable that the epithet, quote, man of sin, end quote, was chosen to designate a person like the character in and destined to a similar fate as Antiochus. And the relentless tyrant and persecution, a persecutor, tyrant and persecutor, who became a monument of the wrath of God. The parallel between, quote, the man of sin and Antiochus Epiphanes is peculiarly noticed by Bengal, who points out the description of the former in verse 4, is borrowed from the description of the latter in Daniel 
1136, the comment of Daniel is, is well worthy of the quotation, and quote, this then is what Paul says, quote, the day of Christ does not come unless there be fulfilled in the man of sin what Daniel predicted in Antiochus. And the prediction is more suitable to the man of sin who corresponds to Antiochus and is worse than he. End of quote. We shall find in the sequel that this is not only is not the only passage in which Antiochus Epiphanes is referred to as the prototype of Nero. But the question may be asked, why should the revelation of Nero and his true character be a matter of such concern to the apostle and to the Christians of Thessalonica? The answer is not far to seek. It was the ferocity of the lawless monster that first let loose all the power of Rome to crush and destroy the Christian name. It was by him that torrents of innocent blood were to be shed and most, um, most exquisite tortures inflicted upon unoffending Christians. It was before his sanguinary, uh, sanguinary tribunal that St. Paul was yet to stand and plead for his life, and from his lips that the sentence was to come that doomed him to a violent death. But more than this, it was under Nero and by his orders that the final Jewish war was commenced, and that darkest chapter of the annuals of Israel was opened with which terminated in the siege and capture of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the extinction of the national polity. This was the consummation predicted by our Lord as the, quote, end of the age, end of quote, and the, and the quote, coming of his kingdom, end of quote, the revelation of the man of sin, therefore an antecedent, antecedent to the Perusia was a matter that deeply concerned every Christian disciple. We can now understand why the Apostle should use such caution in writing on a subject like this. It was from no affection of oracle obscurity, but from the prudently motives, but from prudent, prudent, Prudential motives, prudential, prudential motives of the most intelligible kind. There were many prying eyes and calamitous tongues in Thessalonica. The only wait that only waited on opportunity to denounce the Christians as disinfected and seditious men. Secret plotters against the authority of Caesar. To write openly on such subjects would be, in the highest degree, indiscreet and perilous.
nor was it necessary, for they had discussed this ma- these matters before in many a private conversation. Quote, do you not recollect, end quote, he asked, end quote, that when I was with you, I was often telling you, or often telling you these things, end quote, more than hence was unnecessary to the Thessalonians, for they had a key to the meaning of which subsequent readers had not, nor is it greatly to be wondered at if the obscurity has gathered round the teachings of the apostles on the subject, events which to contemporaries are full of intense interest upon often become not only uninteresting but unintelligible to posterity. Yet it is somewhat strange that the very obvious reference to the contemporary history and to Nero should have been so generally overlooked. This is the most ancient interpretation of the passage relating to the man of sin. Christostom, Christostom, commenting on the mystery of the iniquity, says, quote, he, St. Paul, speaks here of Nero as being a type of Antichrist, for he also wished to be, though, as God thought a God, end quote. This opinion is also referred to by Augustine, uh, Theodoric, Theodoric, and others. Theodoric and others. Okay, Belgian, Belgian referring to the uh, um, obstacle to the manifestation of the man of sin says, quote, the ancient thoughts of the, that Claudius was this check. Hence, it appears they deemed Nero, Claudius' successor, the man of sin. Moses Stewart has collected a great number of authorities for the identification of Nero with the man of sin. And he remarks, quote, the idea that Nero was the man of sin mentioned by Paul and the Antichrist spoken of so often in the epistles of St. John prevailed extensively and for a long time in the early church. And again, quote, Augustine says, what means the, the declaration that the mystery of iniquity already works. Da, da, da. Some suppose this to be spoken of the Roman emperor, and therefore Paul did not speak in plain words because he would not incur the charge of, of calamity. Charge of calumny. 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 For having, or called Calumny, yeah, like Lude or whatever, something like that. Calumny. And that having spoken evil of the Roman Emperor, although he always expected that he had said 
what he said would be understood as applying to Nero, in a quote. <clears throat> well, what a road has been for me, man. To go from thinking that the, the man of sin in the Bible is talking about the Pope to realizing that the Pope wasn't even around then. Does that mean the Pope is not a man of sin? He's not a wicked person? No. He's a wicked person. He's definitely a man of sin. And so as it uh, looks like the, the future, well, Herod, our day, and that would be um, Trump. I think see nothing but bad things happening. I think we're going to witness what it means to have a wicked man in office. I mean, all the men are wicked, but I think we're going to witness what it's like to see a, a Nero say to us... Sadomasochist, a uh, psychopath in its fullness. They're going to unleash this crazy dude. Of course, they're going to make it, you know, they want a new Hitler, so. For many reasons to help to instigate and, and, and implement the, the next stages of the World War III, so. What craziness we live in. This world's always been crazy. When we say the world, it's men. Men are nuts. So are women. Women are even worse anyway, so I know. How dare you say that? But it's true. It would be improper to pass from the consideration of this deeply interesting passage without some notice of what may be called the popular Protestant interpretation which finds here the rise and development of popery and the identity of Pope as the man's sin. That interpretation is in many respects a, so plausible and the points of correspondence so numerous that it is not surprising that it should have found favor with perhaps the majority of the commentators. There is a certain family likeness among all systems of superstition and tyranny, which makes it probable that some of the features which distinguish one may be found in all. It is the same with great historical crisis and catastrophe. There are points of resemblance common to all, but few expositors of any note or weight will now contend that all the descriptive notes of the man of sin are to be found in the Pope. Dan Alford justly observes, quote, in the characteristics of verse 4, the Pope does not and never did fulfill the prophecy, allowing all the striking coincidence with the latter part of the verses which have been so abundantly adduced. It never can be shown that the, his fullness uh, the f that he fulfills the former part. Nay, so far is he from it that the object adoration and submission to in a bunch of Roman or Greek words ever been to ever been one of his most notable peculiarities Peculiarities. 
notable peculiarities. Peculiar, I can't sorry. Peculiarities. It's nice being a moron and can't do anything. Peculiarities. Notable peculiarities. The second objection of an external and a historical character is even more decisive. If the papacy be Antichrist, then has the manifestation been made and endured now for nearly 1,500 years, and yet that day of the Lord is not come, which, by the terms of our prophecy, such manifestation is immediately to proceed, end of quote. The Perusia, Perusia and the Epistle to the Corinthians. That's probably a good place to stop. I might I keep on going, and I'm in a roll, man. I, this, I love reading this book. You ever find those books, you get a book in your life, and everyone's different, but they just, just captivate you. And, you know, for me, it means a lot. Because the past couple of several years of this inquiry, this quest of eschatology of the Bible and trying to understand it, because it's very un- it's not very understandable without understanding somebody teaching you about audience relevance, about the poetry, uh, about these, you know, just the way that they wrote. Um, the Jews of the day, and put it in perspective of the time period that it was in. If you don't do that, it becomes, uh, well, you can do whatever you want, I guess. But a lot of people, they end up making their whole theology in the face of a couple of verses and maybe some chapters instead of, uh, and we're blindsided by religion because it, it just corrupts the truth. Organized religion, the pastor, whether intentionally or not, has been falsely teaching us for a long time, and obviously there's been great incentive for them to keep on teaching this dispensation of futurism. There must be money. There's money involved. You can start teaching what I'm sharing with you here, and the people that I do know, the few that I know that are you know pastors, well, they lost their their ranking and status in the church by preaching the truth once again. People say you can blame it on the 5013 thing and all that, and there's certainly a lot of validity in that, but that doesn't mean in any way the church is still going to be teaching you the truth. you got blind men leading the blind, and until they can come to terms with the reality that the Second Coming happened in the first century A.D., and get a grip of this and move on, well, they're just going to be constantly uh, being useful dupes for the ruling elite. That's where our strength is, is knowing the Word of God. That's where our strength is. If you're a Bible Christian, Bible-believing Christian is not going around telling people how to behave, preaching to them is knowing your word. That knowing the truth of this message. And then dealing with the fact that for seventeen to twelve thousand years, what has happened since then? What's going on? What has happened to our society? 
What has happened to culture? What has happened to mankind? Why have things gotten better and worse at the same time? Why? What is it that we don't understand about what happened after the fact of the great parousia, the coming of the Lord, that happened in the first century A.D.? And this is something we have to wrestle with because apparently... We've misunderstood something extremely important in this quest. And our pride and our arrogance or egocentrism has got us convinced that somehow we're still waiting for something that happened and that somehow that we're the special ones and we somehow can't accept the fact that maybe, uh, well, whatever special we are, it's not necessary it's being clearly stated in the Bible or maybe it is and just maybe we just have to accept the fact that there is no second coming that the resurrection did happen that God's kingdom is a spiritual one that heaven is on the other side of the veil and that when we die with those of us who believe in Christ will be resurrected will be with God I don't know what else can you have you hope in it's insane. It's rational. It's uh, psychotic to yearn for the second kind. They fall upon this plane of existence and cause people to suffer any more than needs to, just so you can feel special. It's. I mean, the, how the unloving nature of the average Christian is so pervasive it's ridiculous but we've you know we got Jesus Judy was boring hello then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now Judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy Judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.